This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And then maybe think about what the players did the last week and be like, where would this take them in the story? How can I make their choices matter? How can I alter this pre-written adventure or whatever I'm doing so that it reflects what the players did so that it feels like the world is living and reacts to, to what they do. Buckle up, this is a heck of a discussion. Connor and I sit down and talk about what it means to be a professional DM. I think you might be surprised what his origin story is. We talk about his growth as a GM and a scenario writer. He breaks down what it takes to be a professional DM and what to expect when you hire one. Make sure you stick around to the end because we discuss safety tools, RPGs as therapy, and what diversity in the gaming space does for this hobby. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Connor. Hey, this is Jake from GameGearMaster.com. When I'm not making Torino, you'll find me listening to Tabletop Talk. Howdy friends, Craig here. My guest is Connor Self. In the RPG sphere, he's a creator and professional dungeon master. He's worked with Wizards of the Coast and created for the Dungeon Masters Guild. Away from the table, he's a therapist, fundraiser, activist, and self-proclaimed bard. Connor, welcome to the third floor. Uh, Hey, Craig, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk with all of you today. You are a very busy person, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I, I I tell my therapist that all the time. She's like, we all are. We all so are you we have all the are. boundaries conversation with your therapist like I do? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's, that's just the nature of things, right? I mean, it is. Um, you know, uh, productivity always comes at a cost. I, oh, no, it does. I, yeah, I'm busy, but I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy, so I'm busy. You know what? It's funny you say that because the people sometimes I get comments about, you know, the number of streams and stuff in a weekly podcast. And I'm like, but this isn't work for me. This is what I enjoy and I love doing. So um, does that mean that I don't need to create better boundaries between for myself? Of course it does, because I also like being married and being a father. But um, uh, such is life. But before we dive into all of this, Connor, we're going to learn all about that. You have to do the question that every goofball that comes on my show has to answer, which is your origin story. So at some point in time, Connor, you knew nothing about rolling dice, nothing about taking a piece of paper and pretending to be another person. And then it was put in front of you for the first time. So can we go back to then? Oh, cool. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of like laughing on the inside because you said origin story. And that ties into how I started RPGs uh, <laughs> way too well. Um, I would have been in sixth grade. I was in middle school in a suburb of Chicago, Illinois. Um, and I, my friend uh, at the time, he said, hey, I uh, have got this game and I'd like to try it. I'm like, really, what's this game called? He said, it's called not Dungeons and Dragons. It's called Marvel Superheroes. Very nice. So... I was taught how to play role-playing games by playing Marvel superheroes. I've, I've long time been a comic book fan. Um, and, and so playing this game where I got to create my own superhero using the old classic TSR phaser rip rules. Oh yeah. Um, 
that that's where I started playing. Um, and I'm not going to lie, being a uh, a big damn hero has been a part of my enjoyment of RPGs for a long time, and that's bled into every game I play. Um, yeah, you know from. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which takes up a lot of my time, through Vampire the Masquerade, uh, uh, through Fate and and Savage Worlds, Tiny D Six. There's so many wonderful games. Um, <laughs> there really are. But yeah, but through all of them, uh, that one recurring theme is I always want to play a big damn hero, and I think that started <laughs> all the way back when I was like a teenager learning how to chuck 2d tens yeah what's so funny about the old uh uh, uh marvel game one it was way ahead of its time um mm-hmm. and today even today it's cited as i have creators on on the show is often cited as that as influential even today um and the way it was designed um and i know that we've got a new one coming out um uh soon and uh, the design team behind it is very exciting. So, so we're, I'm looking excited. forward to seeing the next one. But I've got, I mean, it was my second one. So D&D was my first, but Marvel Superheroes was my second. And it was a big deal. But now we know you're first, right? So you sat down, your buddy says, let's play, let's play Marvel Superheroes. What was it like on the other side of that first session? So you had no idea what the hell was going on. Were you, did you guys play anything close to what the rules were? Did you just do what a lot of us did and just kind of make it up as you go along? Do you remember? I want to say the first time I played the game, my friend ran us through the Secret Moors adventure. Nice. Yeah, um, I had that one. I know that yeah, one. Yeah, he, uh, we, didn't know, um, we didn't know the game, and he didn't know it well enough to run it. Right. Um, he knew he had a penchant for telling stories, um, and he was an incredibly talented DM, and, and still is. Uh, so the, uh, the actual rules of the game, though, we didn't know, and so we didn't want to fuss with an adventure writing an adventure here's an adventure we'll run it as it's written and let's see if we like this um turns out we we both absolutely loved the game as did our friends oh that's Um, great yeah and 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 it went from there until uh uh, eventually at some point he's like hey there's this club at the local high school um and i hear they play this game called dungeons and dragons it's really popular among us nerds you know because back then it wasn't that popular um it was still sort of like a subculture thing. And he's like, let want to go learn this. I'm like, yeah, I don't have anything else going on. It's a weekend. I'm 13. So, <laughs> right, we go to the high school and they're like, we're going to teach you Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, that's cool. What do I need to do? He's like, well, first I'm going to give you this character and we're going to play in this world called Dark Sun. I'm not even kidding. Like that they ripped the Band-Aid off right from the beginning. Boy, like, they the sure first, did. That's like hardcore right out of the gate. <laughs> first D game I ever played was no kidding. Dark Sun. And um and it I that also was pretty formative. Um yeah. how so? So one thing that's always been very important to me is telling a gripping and engaging story that's challenging, but not in the ways that you might think. Okay. And 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 Dark Sun is an incredibly challenging setting from a combat perspective. And combat permeates D&D so much. Uh but it's also challenging in just the survival aspect. It's challenging because the world itself is your enemy. It's mm-hmm. not the other people or monsters that populate it. It's that the the world itself wants you dead. Right. Um and and so it was a really heavy taste into not only the exploration t- uh, pillar, which is where most of my writing lives now, um, but also in the RP pillar, 
because other uh, other individuals in that world were experiencing the same. The world wants them dead too. And so people are, are in conflict for limited resources um, and banding together where they can find trust and just simply trying to survive. Yeah. And, and so um, even today, that uh, that idea that, you know, when you're telling a good story, the world should seem arrayed against you is is something I try to work into the stories that I tell in in, uh, in story element, but also potentially intangible. Ways. So. Yeah, that's cool. So you go through, you mentioned Fade, but, you know, Vampire and uh, sampling a couple indie different games and really kind of getting the full palette in front of you. But at some point, Connor, you said, you know, I want to do more than play. I want to do more than run a game. Mm -hmm. And I'd be curious to know when you first said, I want to not just create for my table. I want to create for something larger than my table. When did that, when did that idea first hit your brain? All right. So, um, Let's go forward a good 25 years or something. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I was um, hanging out with some friends in a new town. I, I'd taken a new job, uh, moved away from the Chicagoland area to the rural part of the state I live in now. Um, I was making new friends um, and I met a bo- uh, members of a board game club and I'm like, are you, are you? all like interested in these, in these RPG things, and you know, cause it's something I've always had a passion for. And they're like, yeah, we just never had a group. I'm like, would you like to start one? So we started a, a group and this was back in the days of the fifth edition play test. Mm. We started um, the fifth edition play test. We we're having a great time with it. Uh, but this group of, of board gamers, these aren't the sorts of folks that can hang out for six or eight hours on a weekend. We were getting together for three or four hours on a Friday night. I'm like, well, there's this new thing called Adventurers League. You know, it looks like these adventures, we could get a hold of them. They're meant to be played in one sitting. We got people coming and going. Real life happens. And uh, they're like, yeah, let's try this. So we we started running Adventurers League. And then I'm like, I really like those stories. I'd really like mm. to to share some of these. And and so that's where my writing had its start. I um When I started writing Adventures, I first started in... The CCC, the Convention Created Content Arena for Adventurers League writing Dungeons and Dragons stories. I've branched out to um, to other more general Dungeons and Dragons since then, but I still have a soft spot in my heart for them um, and uh, have written a few times for Wizards of the Coast uh, through their organized play program. Mm-hmm. A great experience and organized play offers so much to players, particularly adult uh, players like us who sometimes have a hard time making those our schedules line up for recurring games and um and I've continued creating for that program, but that's where I started. Um that's where that's where I started and where I continue to write. Yeah. So I'd be curious if Connor, if I were to grab maybe some of those early ones that you wrote, right, for the uh-huh. Adventures League, and then were to hop over to Drive Through RPG and pick up some of your more recent work, and I put them next to each other. Um, the first thing I'd like to know is what would I notice is the same? So what did we, what were you doing at the beginning that you still see yourself doing now, even though you've, you know, taken a bit of a journey as a creator? Okay. Um so my background outside of the RPG space is in uh, psychology. It's in counseling and therapy. Um, And it's always been a very important thing for me to portray individuals in the story as very real and very three-dimensional with motivations, 
that are very relatable, even if they are on the um, the antagonist side of things. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning, you'll see a recurring theme is antagonists that you can understand. Um, they, they're relatable. Um, and honestly, if any of us were put in the same situations as they were, we might go the same way. Yeah, those are the best kind, man. Right. And, and, yep. and, so, and so, yeah, that's where I go. Um, my big bads aren't big bad. Uh, they're us just put in a different situation and, and they're like the rest of us just doing the best they can. A little um, bit of different luck, luck and a couple different choices. And so my first adventure, uh, the antagonist was the quest giver. Um, so you worked for Jenny Greenteeth, the vicious hag of the moon sea. Um, and she was having some problems that she needed help sorting. And so long as you were willing, as, as, so long as you helped her, she would do things that would be beneficial to the people who lived in the area. There's no doubt that she was a, a terrible being. Right. But she was the sort of evil you could work with because, you know, she had her own motivations and she was she definitely had a quest for power. But that quest for power didn't put her at odds with the people living there so long as they were willing to cooperate. Um, but but it got a little bit more complicated from there um, when. Jenny Loveday and I wrote the epic for season 10, uh, Terror in Ten Town. The antagonist, the primary antagonist in it, was a woman who, uh, who was struggling to feed her children. <laughs> and her motivation for starting a war with the two legs, with the, with the humanoids of the Ten Towns, was because if she, if she, if she didn't do that, her, her children, her actual kids, her pups, would die from starvation in that eternal winter. Um, and, you know, the, everybody was dealing with that, and she was just doing what she felt she needed to do for her family to survive. And um, when, you, when you go through that adventure arc for season nine, and you actually read deep into it, um, there's a lot of content in there that gives you a sense of the desperation that people were willing to plunge to. Yeah. And resources became scarce, and they were just trying to ensure that their family survived. And, and so um, I turned that on its ear um, and gave players the opportunity. They didn't have to engage with the plot that deeply, um, but were they to do so, they could learn, hey, you know what? They're really not that different from us. They're just doing the best that they can too. Yeah, and some of the best role-playing experiences I've ever had, both running and playing, is is when when you're faced with a tough call, right? The, the easy black and white, that, that was great when I was 13. Um, but as an adult, what I find far more interesting is the type of stuff you're talking about. So I've got your early work on my left hand. I've got my I've got your recent work on my right hand. And I'm noticing thematically you're saying I'm going to see some very similar themes as far as the antagonists and the fact that they are three dimensional, that they're not, you know, uh, just your typical stereotypical um, evil person. Yeah. What's changed, though? So what, what, where's your growth? So where would I see between the first and the most recent um, where you have, in your mind, have grown the most? Um, so I think one area where my writing has changed is that I try to give more room for the DM to create their own story. Mm. And, and, and so um, my early adventures uh, were very, very linear. Um, and at that time of a lot of the adventures I saw, 
in organized play for pretty much any system was very linear because they were trying to wrap the story up in X number of hours, right? You've got three and a half hours. You need to wrap it up in that time. So boom, boom, boom. You do this. The players do this. The players do this. Not a lot of agency done. Here's right. your here's your prize. Go home. Um, and I wanted to create an experience where the DM could really tailor that uh, to the players what they um, what they enjoy playing, what they bring to the table with the characters that the, that they have. Um, and so what you'd see is a lot more like. These are the sorts of things that could happen. Here's some different encounters you can you might be able to add in or create your own, or here's some some tools you can use. Um, and and trying to add that sort of you can explore this in different ways that don't necessarily even involve combat. Yeah. Because for many, for many players, um combat isn't why they're at the table. And and for those who you disagree, I, I would just point to the popularity of streams, which is where most of the audience is right now in RPGs. Um, so many people enjoy streams, and in streams, when you watch them, it's not very often that they fight. Mm -hmm. And and this is the impression that, that this is what people are seeking. This is the entertainment that they're seeking. They want that, that time to act and everything. And I know that the roots of D&D uh, go back to wargaming. Mm -hmm. um, but the audience uh, expects a little bit more now. Um, well, it's going to change, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, people people say, well, the origins are wargaming. It's used both ways, right? So sometimes you hear people giving D&D &D, and, and to be clear, I'm not a big fan of D&D, &D, um, but that doesn't make D&D &D a bad game. Right. No. And so so I see people that are cr that crap on D&D &D and they go, well, it's just, you know, a glorified war game because that's where it started. It's a terrible argument. Right. Because, yes, it started as a war game does not mean that's where it is today. And at the same time, people are using the same argument to say, well, of course, it's got to be combat central. Now, citing the origin is the reason for that. I disagree with citing the fact that the amount of rules that are devoted to that, that's a different, right. That's a different discussion. But yeah. the, the bottom line is, is from, even if you go back to Gygax and even if you go back, um, you know, to early traveler and all of those things all in the books codified in there was do what you want to do. The freedom was there. And that's the whole mm -hmm. concept behind this. So, you know, the, the, the argument of, you know, there's one way to play it is just, it, it, it goes against, things at the very beginning and even if it's said otherwise at the beginning things have changed and the games have changed oh yeah very much and and so uh i i spent a lot of time trying to bring those other elements into yeah. the organized play sphere so that uh, people who are coming into organized play could enjoy those other elements as well and if they want to fight there's certainly plenty of ways to pick <laughs> sure. it in in my adventures but there most of my adventures now you get through without fighting at least even once so if I were um, reading the biography of Connor, the, the creator, right, and, and I'm, you know, 10 chapters, I'm on chapter five, and I'm starting to notice you getting less linear. I start noticing you getting a little bit more, you know, uh, plot point or, or, uh, origins and, and, and situations versus uh, storylines. What do you think pushed you in that direction? So where did you start to, to kind of turn the wheel? Um, there were some, there were some works by some writers that I had a chance to play in because a lot of my play experiences, because I was also a busy adult, a lot of them were set in organized play. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, uh, 
attended more conventions as a result of of uh, my time in organized play, DMing for it, writing for it, and I started playing more games in Call of Cthulhu organized play. But but even not just Call of Cthulhu or Star Trek Adventures organized play. Um, I started seeing adventures written by some really talented writers. Uh, a person that sticks out in my mind is Will Doyle, a very talented uh, writer who wrote the first major epic where you could choose, like, here's 10 submissions. You can pick which ones you want to do. There are some that are combat. There are some that are exploration. There are some that are social and RP. I will let you know which ones are which. And then you could pick what experience you want. Nice. Throughout the next three hours. Um, and and then I'm like, look, there's a way to do this. Uh, and and so I watched it. I tried to model it um, as much as I could. I tried to build tools in, uh, into my adventures to empower DMs to tell those stories. Uh, because, yeah, uh, you know, the rule systems are often a little light in exploration or social uh, pillars in D&D. So what sorts of tools can I build into the adventure to help DMs feel empowered to tell those stories, many of whom the DMs themselves aren't used to telling those yeah. stories either. Um, so that that's when I started to I started to see other games and how they could do it and then try to bring it where the audience is at. I love the other games. Um, I've, I've got a gaming group on Sunday and all we do is don't play D&D. <laughs> um, that that is that's the theme we've got one friend who i love him dearly but he really just has a a really bad taste in his mouth for D D. uh that well's been poisoned for him uh but i get to see what other games do well right and i can take those things and i could say hey this would work really great in this game where i know other people are at so they could experience yeah. it a little bit too you know, for whatever reason, they're playing D and D, and they're not playing those other games. I mean, if they want to play those other games, I'll I'll teach them. Like, sure, come play with me. Um, but if that's where they're going to live in the gaming space, yep. it doesn't mean that they can't experience what the game could, those elements could be like. And maybe they're like, "Oh yeah, I did this thing. My DM told me it was an awful lot like this Fate game. Let's check this out. Let's see what it's like." Um, you got to meet them where they are, Connor. I mean, you know, you know, trying to beat them into a different direction is going to accomplish nothing. So I, I really like that approach. And and I have to I have to beg the question: What are some What are some things that you've encountered where you really went, "Wow, I like how that game does this"? And it's things that you've kind of ported over. Can you think of one or two examples? Um. So, uh, in uh, so I'll tell you some of the things I ported over. Session zeros, before they were popular in D and D, they were very popular yeah. in indie games. Um, they're mandatory for any game I run now. Um, some of the character, uh, I do a character creation session as part of my session zero, then straight out of fate, you know, uh, Hey, you know, you've got a name and that's it. I don't want you to come up with anything else. Just a name that we can work with. Hey, your character used to date that other person's character, but you broke up. Tell me why. And then they build that relationship that they, uh, through the story, they have a shared story with their characters, a reason why they might be together, a reason why they might like each other, a reason why they might rub each other a little wrong way, but still cooperate. Um, and so I've continued in my session zeros using that fate system to build the relationships before they ever build stats on a character sheet. Um, because I think that that inspires people uh, as far as what they want to pick, put on that character sheet when they have a backstory before that. Um, I, uh, 
have pulled over uh, some of the different ways that skills are used mm. um, and other systems uh, to expand some of the uh, exploration tier in, so? in D&D. Um, so I, I want people to see that there are more uses other than the ones that they necessarily list in the book. I, uh, and when you look at uh, D&D, from the beginning, D&D had a 5 5e. From the beginning of 5e uh, D&D, there was always the optional rule as far as alternate skill combinations. You could mm -hmm. combine, it's almost always paired this attribute or this ability with this skill. But, you know, as an optional rule, you can switch that up. Um, that optional rule isn't initially theirs either. Um, it comes from games like uh, White Wolf was especially good at that. Very good right? at it, yeah. And, and, you know, that you pair attributes with abilities in, in that game based on um, based on what seems to make sense at the time mm -hmm. and being willing to, to, to change that uh, in this game where it's almost always the same. Um, and then not just doing it, making it a central point in actual Wizards of the Coast product. Right, um, right. And, and, and that drives a whole different style of play and it makes you look at, look at how you play different. I love that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and 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 it lets you, it, it it takes you off the character sheet and into the world of imagination, right? Um, right, and 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 that's and that's where, um, that's where I think the game lives now with a lot of folks. Uh, they're playing it as a game of imagination, and so yeah. I, I want to to do anything I can to build that immersion, not to wreck it. Very cool, Connor. So um, last question I have is, you know, as, as you're working on something, there is um, the version that you have and then the version that ends up getting put out and, and put up on, you know, the DMs Guild. Mm -hmm. What is the process for you to know when it's time to load it up? When do you know it's ready? How do you know it's baked? Um, at this point, in my creative process, um, when, I, when I first started, I was very much, I did everything with my work. Um, and that's not, and I don't do that anymore because I realized um, a, a, a couple years back that I create better when I create with other people. Mm. And so I may conceptualize a story. I, I may even write that story, um, but I'm not going to be the only hand touching it throughout, throughout the process. I'm going to have other creatives who are going to look at it, other writers who might pick up the writing mantle from it, uh, an editor for certain to read it over. And I'm not talking like a proofreader. A lot of folks, when they think of editors, they think the editors are people that correct typos and word errors. If you're that person, stop. Um, that's not what a good editor does. Certainly a good editor picks up some of those things, um, but typos will always be there. A good editor is going to read the story to see if it makes sense. Right. Right. Um, and they're going to say, oh, but what about this? You didn't talk about this, but the story doesn't make as good a sense without this element in there. So you might want to consider adding it. Um, so that good editor, um, somebody who's skilled with computers to do layout for you so the product looks beautiful. Play testers to try the game and see if it works at their table or not. Um, and then uh, sensitivity readers to make mm -hmm. sure that you're not accidentally offending anybody. All of, all of those people are really important. And the more folks that uh, get on board, the better your product is. If I were to look at those early adventures I wrote uh, from my CCC days, which I love to death, I really do. I like that fairy tale. But if I compare it now to the Red City with a team of 13 people, 
who cooperatively wrote, cooperatively edited, uh, different artists added their own custom work in, um, you would see just this huge difference in quality. And quality comes from, from not being the person who finishes your product. That's yeah, no, that's good. And, and, and it, um, it's gotta give you opportunities to flex too, a little bit, right? So you get an opportunity to give to your contributors. They give to you, you Mm -hmm. learn from each other. Everybody grows in that scenario. Um, and I think that's wonderful. All right. So I need you to be my concierge. Okay. I've got 50 bucks in my pocket, burning a hole, and I'm going to go to drive through RPG and I'm buying Connor's work. So for somebody listening right now that wants to spend 50 bucks on your work, what would the, what would the uh, sommelier say? Um, okay. So I think the sommelier would say, are you interested in exploring stories about the human experience? If you said yes, I think the, the sommelier would say, pick up the red city. Mm-hmm. Um, the Red City is a fully realized domain of dread, uh, focused on the central theme of the fear of mediocrity, the fear <laughs> of being lackluster, something that each and every one of us experience. And uh, at some time or another, whether you're creative or dungeon master or player, if you are human, there are times that you're going to feel inadequate. Um, and this is a game where you get to explore that as a metaphysical force in existence. Um, and, and so I think that as far as the scope of the stories that you can tell in that campaign setting, it's got adventure scenes, it's got pre-written adventures you can run. There's plenty of content in there that you can focus in on the central theme of Dark Lord, but it's way, it's often way better outside of it, hmm. um, where you're just existing in a world where people are afraid to be exceptional. Um, and, and so the, the heroes get to be uh, pretty big damn heroes. That's cool. Um, because you might be the only ones in, uh, in that area who can stop the werewolf. It's not just, oh, we're in Waterdeep. Why are they picking us? Go two blocks over. There's level 10s over there. Um, it's, it's, you know what? You might be the best defense of this city, and people really do count on you. Um, and, and, so, and so that's, that's pretty cool. It also has a really neat early Renaissance feel. Um, it draws a lot of inspiration from the folklore of Eastern Europe. Nice. Uh, which is something that hasn't really been explored very much in, in 5e. Um, so uh, that would be where I would go with that. If you're looking for a more linear campaign arc, I would go back to at, at Jenny's request, which is a series of seven adventures um, written for Adventurers League uh, that would take a character from level five to 11. Always great. It has some pretty cool little sequences, but also plenty of room for you to interject your own flavor into it as a, as a dungeon master and create very poignant emotional experiences. Um, some of those adventures at conventions, the fir- it was the first feedback I got back where people were saying, I played this adventure that you wrote and I cried in it. <laughs> That's something. So, you know, like, uh, so there's plenty of, of moments for that in there too, um, for, uh, for a more linear story for for uh for it to be meaningful for people and and very individualized that's cool and of course guys you know this already but you can scroll down right now and i've got links to all of that as well as to the drive through rpg section uh for um for connor um but we've got a lot more to talk about so um what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break when we get back from this break i want to talk to connor about what the hell a professional dm does we'll be right back <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As you know, Third Floor Wars is a one-person operation. Every week I record, produce, and release podcast episodes and video content on both YouTube and Twitch channels. Consistently creating new content isn't easy, and it requires a lot of focus and energy. It can be hard to find the balance. Too much energy and I feel amped and not enough and I lose my focus and drive. The thing is, is I'm not an energy drink guy, but I've started drinking a shot called Magic Mind. Instead of reaching for a second, third or fourth cup of coffee to keep my energy levels, now I take this little shot every morning with my one cup of coffee and I'm set for the day. It's made me more productive during my day job and it leaves me with more than enough energy and focus to make content for you. It has all natural ingredients sourced from the best suppliers they could find. No sugar, nut-free, vegan, keto, and paleo-friendly. You should check it out. Go to magicmind.com slash thirdfloorwars. That's magicmind.com slash thirdfloorwars. And use the code TABLETOP for up to 56% off your subscription for the next 10 days. That code again is TABLETOP. Okay, do you have the energy to listen to the rest of the episode? So there's no quicker way to light a fire on Twitter than to bring up the uh, idea that people pay other people to run games, um, which I've always found very silly. But at the same time, Connor, you are the first technical, technically the first professional DM or GM I've ever had on the show. Um, so let's start off by assuming nothing. Let's start off by saying if someone calls themselves or legitimately is a professional DM or GM, what does that mean? So it depends on what level you take it to. Okay. Um, but you know, some people might say, well, I run games for my friends and they buy me food and that makes me a professional DM. To that extent, yeah, you are trading a service uh, for something worth money. So in a way, yeah, you are a professional DM. Um, but um, for me, like the way I conceptualize it, at least, I, I think that first step where, where people would be a professional DM, in my mind is if they ran for conventions in exchange for room board, the cost of the convention being returned to them, maybe a, a food allowance or a pro, you know product given to them in exchange for that service. Um, at that point, in my mind, it, that, that's where it sticks to me that that might be where professional DMing is at, mm-hmm. um, starting there. And that's an, that's an arrangement that's been going on for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, now, I didn't hear people rail on it back at that point. Right. People didn't complain um, when those people were, in essence, they were professional dungeon masters with them. Um, but I'm with you. I, I hear when I hear the vitriol um, on Twitter, it's when people run games for money. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it was an incredibly um, angry topic. And that big Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition Facebook group, I'm a moderator for it. Um, the number of times that our, our team had to jump in and be like, Listen, it might not be for you, but stop, stop the, the negativity because this person does, doesn't deserve it, and no. our readers don't deserve it. Um, that was a that was a just boom moment, such that 
I never said that I was a professional DM. Right. Uh, as a moderator in that forum, I never once said it because I figured I would get some of that hatred uh, thrown toward me too. It's it's since slowed down, but there are lots of reasons why it's pretty cool to have a professional DM. Um, for the same reason that it's cool to have a therapist to talk to about your problems right. sometimes, yeah. instead of of just hitting your friends with it again one more time. And I, and I want to talk a lot about that. But before we head there, do you have any insight, Connor, on why this pisses people off so much? So when someone finds out, you know, yeah, you know, I, uh, by the way, um, I'm running a game and it's $10 per player or $100 per player, whatever it is. Um, let me know if you're interested. I find like any reasonable human being going, you know what, that's not really not me. So yeah, knock yourself out. Mm -hmm. But then there's a portion of the, of the population that gets angry. That gets angry that that's been said. And I wonder if you have any insight of what might be driving that. So part of me wants to say that it's just something that's been added to the environment that's a change. And oftentimes people rail against change. Yep. Um, oftentimes the folks who are the loudest about not liking it are the folks who are the grayest among us. I'm <laughs> they're my, dudes like me. My gray <laughs> as, I, as I stroke my beard here. Um, but, uh, but it could be that, you know, this, it's like, this hasn't been this way the entire time I played D and D or the entire time I played Savage Worlds, what's going on. Um, I think also to a small degree, us, us part of it is, you know, I'm trying to think of, of, of the, of the real judicious way to say it. It, I think folks are are afraid that if somebody's doing it for money, that it's going to hurt the experience or that it's going to hurt their experience or that their DM is going to stop running for them. Um, and to a certain degree, I think folks feel entitled when they played long enough and they're like, oh, yeah, my, my friend just runs it for free. He loves it without realizing a lot of times because they haven't been behind the screen themselves that that friend put six hours a week into planning that game session for them. Right. And, you know, and that's six hours that they could be spending doing something else with their family or spending time with their kids um, or putting in extra assignments at work uh, to help pay the bills or or whatever it is, um, whatever it is. I mean, that that time, that time is precious for, for that DM. And I love my DMs who have contributed time for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even if they love it, it doesn't change the time that was put into it. Right. Um, so I, I agree. So. All right. So I'm in a situation now. I say, you know what? I get a bunch of my buddies together and I'm going to pay Connor. He's going to run a game for us on Saturday night. OK. Um, what are some things? What should be my expectations at that point? So I've 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 written the check or whatever it may be. We're getting together on Saturday night. All my friends are like, Craig, should we, you know, what's what's going to happen? What, what are some expectations we would have? And not for you specific, but in your mind for the a true professional GM. So I would say that the expectation doesn't start with the GM. It starts with the players. Interesting. Um, and so uh, if you're getting together with a group of your friends, you're like, hey, Let's play a game where we can all just play together. None of us have to do the work. We can create a fun character. We show up. We got some person who's going to run a story for us. Sit and talk about what you want out of that story. Mm. You know, uh, because because this is something you can do in, in the pro DM space that you can't do with your buddy Chuck who's sitting across the table from you. He, Chuck is going to give you whatever Chuck is able to give you, whatever Chuck is good at, and whatever Chuck likes. Yeah. Um, in this space, you've got people you can choose from. 
what do you want them to bring to the table for you? Is it just a beer and pretzel style romp? Theater of the mind is great because you don't want to be bothered with, with learning any VTTs um, and you want to use a bunch of curse words. Or is it more of a, well, I want somebody who's going to bring accents to the table and is going to have you know, sound effects and, and other cool doodads that we, can, that we can play with either at the table or on our monitors if we're playing online. Um, and so you can decide amongst yourselves what it is you're looking for, and then you can browse and find the DM that matches. Nice. Um, and, and so in that regard, if there's something that you are really looking for as a player, you're going to have a better chance of getting that, that desire met in that public space than you are in the home space, where, quite frankly, the number of DMs that we have in our communities, the reason why there are pro DMs is because there aren't a lot of people that run games. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of players, but there aren't as many DMs. And if if you've been on that other side of that DM screen, you know as well as I do that it's it hits very different being a, a DM than being a player. It's not the same. Um, and and a good DM does put in time in, into labor, not to actually playing the game. Right. The actual labor of it. So um find find the person who delivers the experience you want. And then say, hey, what would you offer? This is what we're looking for. And you can do that. Um, I've had so many people approach me saying, these are the things that I want for my friend. We've talked about it. We want this. Can you do this? And I will be the first one to say, yes, I can do this for you. No, that's outside the scope of, of, of my expertise. Or I'd love to do it for you, but I'm already helping this group. So, But I know this other person who is really good, who you would really enjoy. So how about I connect you two sort mm-hmm. of thing? Um, so that I can help them find uh, find the right game. Um, ultimately, uh, in in the space, it's no different on the pro DM side as it is at the at the home game side of of things. It's all about the shared relationship at the table. Somebody comes to me wanting to uh, to play a good game, and I know who can help them get that good game. I'm going to help them get the good game. I want yeah. I want happy gamers out there. Um, that's that's just how I am, but. Most of the pro DMs I also know are the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's funny. It's amazing that you say that, Connor. And I'm I'm a little mad at myself because I don't think I've ever thought about, you know, you can shop around, right? You can say, like, you know, what are we in the mood for? Are we in the mood for, you know, Dungeon Crawl Classics or are we in the mood for Vampire the Masquerade, right? You can find so many games that aren't D&D if you're willing to go the pro DM route. Yeah. And, and and, you know, do I want, um, you know, someone trying to be Matt Mercer or do I want, you know, somebody who's just going to have us pull out swords and roll dice for three hours because that's what my friends and I want to do, right? And um, that that's a huge benefit. So, all right. So let's move the clock forward. Then um, I come to you, Connor, and I say, "Look, this is uh, this is what my friends and I are looking for." You're like, "Dude, I'm open. This is I can totally deliver that for you. Uh, we'll we'll meet in a week." So, what happens during that week for you, Connor? Now that you have been kind of given the 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 stars and wishes from from the players, mm-hmm. and you're getting ready for the Saturday night game, um, what does that involve for you? All right. So getting ready for the Saturday night game, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass along all the links to everything that we do. Um, I, I tend to offer a lot of of um, of perks to playing in my games. Uh, I uh, pay a lot of subscription fees, so I don't use Discord. I use Zoom um, mm-hmm. because better picture, better audio quality, more stability. You know, uh, that other system that a lot of people use was down all day to, today. 
I can't imagine how many games, uh, uh, RPG games were canceled earlier today because yep. it wasn't working. Um, I, so I find that that, that works better. Um, through uh, uh, places like D&D Beyond, I'm able to offer access to digital copies of the books to all my players. Um, as a thank you here, as long as you play one of my game, you've got links to every resource in the game that's been released. Um, I uh, I offer the sound effects, all of that sort of stuff. That's all pretty expensive to do um, yeah. monthly wise. Um, so those are the, the perks I put out there, but I don't do as much in the before the first session. Hmm. Um, because the first session, again, like I said, is for me, is the, is the session zero. And so in that first game, a lot of it is just let's set our rules as a table. When um, when you're doing pro DMing, you may be uh, maybe fortunate and you have a group of people who've known each other for years. You may have a group of people who didn't really know each other before. And that's when it becomes especially important. Yeah. Right. That you set those rules together about these are the sorts of things that are cool in games where I'm going to feel comfortable because if I feel comfortable, then I'm going to have fun. Everybody deserves to have fun. So you have that session zero to set up what those limits are, what's okay, what's not. And we set everything from here's the day and time we play to here's okay if it's eat, if it's okay to eat in front of the camera or if it's okay to drink alcohol in front of the camera. Um, because for some adults, that that's not something they want at a table where they're at. Um, we, we set all of these little rules, you know, um, and then after we do that, I'm like, okay, now let's create relationships between our characters, come up with a fictional name. Don't even tell me what class or, or lineage combo you're going to be, or, or what playbook you want. Just tell me, this is my character name. And then I'm going to give you a bunch of fictional situations between you and another player. Uh, and your characters have to, you have to say, well, my character did this and their character did this. And everybody's like, oh, yeah. And then my character did that. And then they tell a little mini story while everybody watches and we all laugh. And then I go to the next one. Uh, the only thing I have is I have some teaser questions that I ask um, to to get those uh, relationships sort of set up in the beginning. But I don't come in with a lot more than that. Before the first session, after that session zero, that's when I do my work. Right. And what does that work look like for you? Uh, that work for me looks like reading the adventure again, um, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is I, I'm going to be running, making sure that that's ready. Uh, understanding what the player said they wanted the session zero. Are they uh, more into social experiences and role play? If so, then I want to read that adventure through the lens of how can I play up that aspect of the session and maybe play down some of the other ones because that's what they want. They want more of that. So how can I how can I bring that to the front and and make that really pop? Um, and if that means that I have to change certain key elements of the story, I'm there. I'm ready. Which means that I need to understand the story well enough to know where I can change it. Yeah. Um, and and so th that's what I do a lot is is I reflect. I read and I reflect and I read again. I also log on 30 minutes early each time just to make sure everything's working. Right. So I'm going to know when we go into that game, what's going to work well and what's not. Um, and uh, I'm going to make sure that all my software is ready. And then if I know my software isn't going to work, which thankfully I'm knocking out all the wood here, hasn't happened. <laughs> uh, but if I were to log on and realize that my application for communicating is down, 
I need to have enough notice to contact all of the players and say, listen, this game isn't going to happen because this service is down. I'm going to cancel it right now. So none of you are going to be charged. I would like to meet with you next week at the same time because I've got that available. Let's do that, please. Uh, I don't like to, to charge people for services that I don't, I don't, I don't deliver. And, uh, and that's, that's where the prep work comes in. The 30 minutes before is tech. Um, cause I've got a pretty consistent tech setup around me that, um, that, that works pretty reliably and software that works reliably. But the week before is reading and reflecting. And then maybe think about what the players did the last week and be like, where would this take them in the story? How can I make their choices matter? How can yeah. I alter this pre-written adventure or whatever I'm doing so that it reflects what the players did so that it feels like the world is living and reacts to, to what they do. And, um, and, that's, and, and that's where I live in that, in that pro DM space. Um, I definitely pour a lot of thought into those campaigns and, and into what people want um, because I, I feel I should. I feel they deserve that. I really well, do. I mean, yeah, I mean, they've paid, right? It's, paid. it's yeah, it's a different, it's a different scenario for you um, as much as it is for them. So um, I guarantee, Connor, there's people listening right now that have thought about doing this, have thought about it and have not done it. Any tips for them? So if there's somebody there that says, you know, I, I think I want to try this. I think I want to to get paid to run a game. What are some, what are some uh, potholes we can get them to avoid and maybe some tricks we can give them? Well. Um, I would reflect a little bit about what kind of DM you are. Um, I would reflect a little bit on what you plan to offer your players. Um, you know, as far as like what software do they need? What cost do they have to get into it? What cost do you have to get into it? Do you have a good microphone? Do you have a good camera? Um, you know, uh, those things are, are very important. Do you have a quiet space? Can you make your life reliable enough that they know when they can come and play? You, you meaning you have to you have to find a way to be stable. Um, one of one of my biggest selling points is I deliver campaigns to completion. And it even in the real world space outside the pro DM space, that's painfully rare. <laughs> it is <laughs> right. Um, knowing that you can start a game and in a, in a year that game is still going to be running and is still going to fit and is going to finish um, is a is a powerful draw. Um, so. Understand what you have to offer um, is where I would start. Um, and you can always do your research because there are other professional DMs that are out there. You can look and see what they offer. Like mm -hmm. what services do they offer? What, what are their selling points? What do people seem to like about their games? Because you can find reviews. They're there. Um, you know, and then, and then sort of, I mean, imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. Mm -hmm. um, look at what other people are doing or even send them a message and say, hey, I know you're you're a professional and everything, but I was looking at maybe doing this. What are some tips you would have for me? Because you you seem to have a style that that I would mesh with as a player. What what is it that you offer? And and get their answer. Um, there are some great services for that. Um, I uh, most of my games are ran through Start Playing Games. If you go to startplaying.games, um, there are there are hundreds of, of, of professional DMs there, and it's it's a great and they're a great community of, of nice. friendly folks. So if you decided to become a pro DM, there's a Discord where you can talk with the other DMs and ask for advice and, and see what they would recommend on on so many different things. And and so you can learn from other people. 
if 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 I could say anything about being a pro DM, it's that it really allowed me to take up my craft. And I That's thought cool. I, was, I thought it was a great DM before, but when you're put in that mind space of I need to offer a product that they deserve, right? Uh, because that's what all DMs do, whether you're paid or not, you are offering a product. Yep. I'm I'm putting together the best game that these people are going to enjoy. There's something about that that makes you really want to strive, right? To 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 really put forward that best. Because you know, you know what? These folks are not only giving up a night or their week pretty reliably, they're also giving me money and they deserve something really good. So I better make sure I'm on my A game all the time. Yeah, no question. So guys, we're going to take another break. When we get back from this break, we're actually going to come back and talk about really some of the things that made me get in touch with Connor and talk him into coming on the show. We're going to talk about how mental health and gaming are related. And we're also going to talk about diversity, inclusivity, and gaming. We'll be right back. Are you enjoying our long form interviews with creatives on this podcast? Maybe you're craving deeper discussions about our guests or some of the RPG plays on our Twitch and YouTube channel. Well, I've got an opportunity for you. You see, Third Floor Wars now has a Patreon-only Discord server. You can join a vibrant community of like-minded enthusiasts diving deep into every episode of our RPG plays and podcast. Connect with fans, engage in spirited discussions, and unlock the behind-the-scenes insights. For just a dollar a month, access a world of tabletop gaming goodness. Connect with passionate gamers who share your love for the tabletop podcast and everything produced on the third floor. As a Patreon supporter, you also enjoy ad-free episodes of this podcast. You can immerse yourselves in captivating stories and fascinating interviews without interruptions taking your listening experience to a whole new level. By joining the Third Floor Wars Patreon community, you not only gain exclusive access to the Patreon-only Discord server, but you also support the growth of my podcast and channels. Your contributions enable me to continue creating high-quality content that entertains, educates, and upskills tabletop enthusiasts like yourself. Maybe don't wait. Join the Third Floor Wars Patreon today and unlock a world of camaraderie, discussions, and knowledge. Visit patreon.com forward slash third floor wars or check the link in the show notes and come join our community. The Third Floor Wars Patreon-only Discord server awaits you. I and the other patrons can't wait to welcome you with open arms and a fistful of dice. So, Connor, I can't remember exactly when it happened. I can't remember what Twitter thread it was, but there was something that I was um, reading and it made me follow you. And then um, there's a couple other posts you made. And I was just like, you know, I, I find what you're saying here is very interesting. And I've now learned a lot of it's tied to your background. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about um, is as a therapist, mm-hmm. where do you see the relationship between RPGs and, and, and mental health? Role-playing as a part of mental health has been there almost from the very beginning. <laughs> it has, um, yeah. And, and, and if you're like, no, I, yes, it has. 
We just haven't had dice on it, but it was even called role play. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the, going all the way back to Freud. I want you to pretend you, to be your mother and I'm going to pretend to be you. And let's play out a scenario right now. Um, and and that was a foundational part of therapy. Um, it wasn't it wasn't gamified, but it was always there. Um, and so I've seen the ways that you can use role play to facilitate help. Now, that said, the table that you run at your house on Friday night, it's not providing mental health services, right? This is not, right. this is not therapy. And I'm going to very strongly draw that line. If you were going to run an RPG as therapy, you should be a therapist. And the, and the way the game is played will change fundamentally. But when you talk about the relationship between gaming and mental health, there's an incredibly strong one. The biggest insulative factor that all of us have in our lives uh, that prevents mental health concerns is community, it's mm. relationships, it's shared experience, it's shared story, it's shared culture. There are very few things in our society, in, 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 um, in you know Western society, Western English speaking society that that pulls us together in that way, than gaming. Yeah, we're sharing a culture, we're sharing a story, we're sharing experience, we're creating our own myths, and we're building relationships. And in so doing, whether you realize it or not, you're helping to prevent mental health concerns. And so I'm like, wow, just by playing a game and making friends. You can do this. And, and the, the, the gaming, you know, these effects aren't necessarily just exclusive to gaming. If you join a, a midweek bowling league right. <laughs> with friends where you're getting together, sharing stories, sharing an experience um, and building relationships, you're going to get those effects also. As anybody that's been in a bowling league consistently can tell you, it's like, wow, this is just a good space for me to be in it. I'm at yeah. my best when I'm there. Um, and it's because that has very profound effects on your mental health. Uh, gaming is, is very much the same way. Um, mm -hmm. And so because, my, because that's where my work is, because that's where my passion is, because I see that it's a powerful way to reach a bunch of people, um, especially with the advent of the internet, um, you know, you can really reach so many people where they're at. People who might have a hard time getting out of the house can now find that community. And with that community, they can find some of, some of those health benefits. So this is something that I'm incredibly passionate about, building these communities. And my focus in mental health in the gaming space is always focused on community. Right. Community building, community building, community building. That's where the mental health benefits are going to come in. At. But is, I got a question. Uh, so I agree with everything you just said, by the way. Not that, not that you need my validation. Um, but there's something very different between bowling and role playing. Um, it's, you know, I can get excited when I bowl, but I can get frightened when I role play. I can mm -hmm. get emotional when I role play. I can get angry uh, when I role play that I might not experience playing a board game. Um, and so I'm wondering that extra layer that 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 this hobby specifically has, um, how does that influence everything that you're looking at? Part of that is why I'm such a big advocate of a session zero. Yeah. Right. Uh, because I know that there's a, a wide range of emotion that you could have 
when you're playing an RPG. Now, I've seen plenty of league bowlers to get mighty angry yes. <laughs> with, with their <laughs> gameplay, um, but it's but it's not the same, right? Right. Um, there there are some fundamental differences though. In your typical RPG, there's no competition. Mm. There's only cooperation. Mm-hmm. Um, in your typical RPG, again, you get that full range. In that typical RPG, you're going to hit some experiences that may be incredibly poignant or maybe emotionally raw for people. Yeah. Um, and especially when you compound that with you don't always know the people that are at your table, even when they're your closest friend. Sometimes you don't know some of those experiences that they that are so deep that they're not going to talk about them. And and having that session zero to say, hey, can we please not do anything that involves the harming of children in our game? Now, when you have a bunch of friends that you've known for many years, often that isn't necessary because you've known each other so long, you know, hey, Chuck over there really can't stand that stuff with uh, with people hurting kids. I've seen him throw his shoe at the TV when something like that happens in a TV show. So like we just stay away from that. We know. Um, but having that session zero, especially when you're people that don't know each other so that you can create that space where like, this won't be fun for me if we do this. The reason why we play these games is for fun. Can we please stay away from that topic? Yep. Um, is, is key. Um, and so, so yes, I'm, I'm going to talk about community, but I'm also going to talk about setting up those things in advance to make sure that it's a fun experience for everybody, not, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I know that there are plenty of folks who who also are very vociferous against the session zero in the space. Um, but I would encourage I, them to consider I, playing. Let me tell you right now, before you say anything, kind, they're, they're wrong. And it's very rare that you'll hear me be that definitive about stuff in this in in this space. People that say that session zeros are a bad idea are wrong. That it doesn't mean you have to do it right. That's fine. If you don't want to have a session zero, then knock yourself the hell out. But people that try to say that there is a problem with a session zero are just wrong. And I, and I, uh, it's just rare that I'm that passionate about something or that definitive. So, um, but it's amazing. Uh, sometimes in the same way people react to professional GMs, it's like, what are you, what are you so mad about? (laughs) Yeah. If you don't like it, don't, don't get one. Yeah. Um, but, but if, but when you actually sit with the session zero, though, and realize, oh, wait, when I play with people that I don't know as a person, I really do dial it back. I really do try to change these things. How about when we start a new gaming group, we just talk about these things in advance. Mm-hmm. There is no harm that can come from that and only positives. Yeah. No, I completely agree. So. You know, the concept of the X card, and for those who are listening, that for some reason you don't know what the X card is, um, I think we've talked about it before on the show, but it's the idea of having some sort of mechanism. It's called the X card because that was one of the earliest versions of it, but it can be anything, right? Um, in fact, for those of you that watch my streams, we have an X card on my streams, but it is one that you may have never seen before because it's done in a way where um, someone can invoke it during the stream. Everybody playing knows it's been invoked and we can go another direction but it doesn't expose that player to the audience as this has been uncomfortable for me so there's all kinds of different ways you can do this um but i I, for some gms connor that's new right and and i'd be curious if you can offer any thoughts or advice on we've established what an x card at my table during our session zero like like a good responsible adult would do i'm now in session three 
we're gone to a place that wasn't covered, right? Wasn't brought up to some and someone in whatever way, form or way is done has invoked the X card. What do you do in that scenario? Um, well, uh, at least the way that um, that I've been taught to use it. Uh, when I was taught to use the X card um, a while back, it was when it's invoked, immediately call for a break. Yeah. Take five or 10 minutes away from the table, giving whoever it is a chance to calm down because everybody deserves to play a game when they're not like angry or frustrated or, or hyper anxious. After everybody's taking a chance to have a breather, um, you come back, you rewind the story five minutes, and then you go. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, you don't have a conversation at that time about what the problem is, you just step away for a little bit, give people a chance to calm down. At the session zero, you would say, after the X card is played, I will rewind the story, we'll continue. Um, but then after the end of the session, if you want to have a discussion, I will have this discussion with you. If you do not want to have the discussion, that is fine. Yeah. Like you have this discussion if you want. Otherwise, know that I respect that. I respect yeah. that you don't need to explain to me what the problem is because I'm not your therapist. Um, I'm your DM, but I'm here to listen if you want to. And I'll and I will definitely do better next time. Yeah. And 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 leave it there. Um when we when we talk about session zero, so when, when I'm talking about safety tools, I, I often call them proactive and reactive. Mm. Um, so a proactive tool is when you take time before the game even starts to figure out what probably are things you should shy away from in your game. Um, and so session zero is a great time to talk about that. I'm going to talk about is drinking a lot at the table. I'm going to talk about is vaping a lot at the table. I'm going to talk about what things are off the table. And I'm going to tell you, you can email them to me if you don't want to say them out loud. And all I'm going to reply to you and say is, I have received your email. And that's the entire text of the email. Um, not to have that conversation, because if you want to have that conversation with me, you will when you decide. Mm-hmm. To that's all proactive because you're trying to prevent the problem from ever happening. You set up the reactive tool because there are going to be times that people forget. Yeah. They're going to forget things. Um, and so that's a so having a, a tool like the X card in place after a session zero, after you try to prevent problems, knowing that sometimes you might do something that would really ruin somebody's night. Um, that's uh, that's what those tools are there for. Um, I from a as a as a player, I can tell you that there is not a single time that anybody has offered me the X card that I have needed to play it. Mm. I can tell you that every time I wanted to play the X card, it has never been offered to me. Isn't that interesting? Wow. So, and yes, I've I've seen tables where the X card has been played, but anytime I've ever personally wanted to play it, it's never been offered to me. And then I did not know how to resolve the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I felt like, oh, oh, crap. This is this is way over the line for me. It makes me uncomfortable. I can only imagine what all my friends are viewing, um, what how they're feeling. But I can't really imagine what they're feeling because I'm so stuck in what I'm feeling right now because I'm getting really worked up. I don't know how to confront that DM. If I step away, are they going to think I'm rude? Are they going to quit running? What's going to happen? Because we haven't established that. Hey. There's nothing wrong with telling me if you're having a problem with it. Just pick up this card and show me. We'll just take a break and, and rewind. Well, it creates a path, right? A path yeah. because, you know, a lot of times when someone needs the X card, they may not be in an emotional state to be able to 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 be um, assertive, 
um, mm -hmm. and, and, and feel comfortable to do that. And to your point, probably don't want to talk about it right then either. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's absolutely wonderful advice. Now, the other thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about before we finish up is, um, just a, as a little bit of background played RPGs, uh, and, and college took a break for about 20 some odd years, came back to it. And during that 20 year period, I also got interested in miniature gaming. Um, and as I transitioned from miniature gaming back into role playing, one of the biggest things that I noticed is how far along this hobby was compared to miniature gaming, specifically when it comes to inclusivity and diversity and and a, a more open and welcome table. Um, miniature game ha, miniature gaming has improved, mm -hmm. but not to the degree that role playing games have. And role playing games have a long way to go. Um, to kind of give you a sense of that scale. So when when people talk about and boy, I just realized we like have all these lightning rod subjects that we're bringing up. <laughs> I, I live amongst lightning rods. I'll, okay. I'll, 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 I'll I just realized that. <laughs> we'll talk, after this, we'll talk about abortion. Um, so, <laughs> so we'll, um, I, I, I got things to do. I'll, I'll <laughs> X card. Oh, he just played it. Um, no. So you know when when. I think a lot of times when discussions around this subject of inclusivity, diversity, um, acceptance, um, I feel like a lot of the arguments that I see or I'm witness to are, have a lot to do with a sense of no shared language that really the, the two, two, two people or groups are talking away from each other or at each other and not with each other. Um, so I'd like to kind of like start there maybe. Um, so kind of for you, you know, when I invoke those names and talk about this as a subject, what does that mean to you? So when you talk about inclusivity in gaming, what that means to me is creating spaces where people feel like they can gather in a community. Okay. And there are times uh, where people in our society have been marginalized. Um, this should not come as a surprise to anybody. If it is, I'm going to tell you, hate is a real thing. Mm -hmm. It is not made up. It is not fake. It's the live experience for a lot of people in our culture. And as a result, there are going to be times when individuals from that community do not want to play with you. <laughs> That's okay. It yeah. really is. I promise you, if you're the person getting angry at that statement, you probably have a few things in common. If you're the people getting angry, you do not have a problem finding a game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, if, if I, I, I remember, uh, uh, a time where I did, I was running a game and there were two black men who by luck ended up playing in the same game I was running. You should have seen how overjoyed they were to realize they weren't the only black man sitting at a table. For yeah. They're like, we have a shared language. We have a shared experience. We have a shared community. I can tell jokes and he'll get them. He can tell jokes. I'll get them. Mm -hmm. All these other white people, they might not get it, but we will. We share this. Yep. And you should have seen the joy at not feeling like they're the only person in the room. And that's, and that's one thing that I would love to point out to you. If you have not been to a convention, I encourage you to go to a convention. It is slowly changing. Yeah. Mind you. But look around. <laughs> I just want you to actually look around. 
and see how many white men are surrounding you. Okay. Now imagine you're the only woman in that space. Yep. And you'll understand how, how it feels. Uh, or, or imagine that you're the only person of color or imagine mm-hmm. you're the only queer person. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the experience for a lot of minority gamers. And we're doing everything we can to make it better. And part of that comes through creating spaces where we explicitly say, we want you to play with us, not we'll treat you like everybody else (laughs) because they're like, but I'm not like everybody else. Right. Right. Like we got things in common, but I'm not the same. I don't want to be treated like everybody else. I want to be treated like me, please. Yeah. And, and then say, and, but if you don't want, that's fine. Cool. Like, it's okay for, you know, if you want to have a, a group on Saturdays where, uh, where it is just people of color, I'm going to be here like, cool, you have fun. Yep. Tell me your stories. I want to hear your gaming stories. I want to get excited for you. I want to get excited with you. Um, that is okay. Um, and, and so it, it gets back to, again, to community, to create mm-hmm. communities that actively welcome people. Not saying that we're going to treat you like everybody else. Because we know that's a lie. We live in a society where we have told people that we're treating you like everybody else for hundreds of years, and we haven't. Right. We right. just are really good at saying it. You know, saying, we're going, you, you, we want you here. And if mm-hmm. you want to join us, we'd love to have you. Um, so so, so that's, that's where I'm at in gaming spaces um, as, a, as a public-facing person at, at so many conventions and events, as an administrator often in the Dungeons and Dragons area, in the, in the public, in the organized play arena, I'm going to go around and just say, Hey, I'm happy you're here. And then just keep yeah. going. Yeah. But, but, but you're going to hear that. Um, that that's where we need to be when it comes to, to diversity. And if somebody tells you that there's a problem, believe them. Yep. They're not lying to you. They have no reason to lie to you. Believe them. Um, so. It's 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 something that we we still have a, a long way to go, um, and we're beginning to increase representation, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Our games are beginning to tell minority stories in these games. This is huge. People are beginning to seek out creatives with minority perspectives. That's huge. Yeah, we're bringing people to the table to let us know, hey, you put that in a story, and I'm just going to tell you. That's going to really upset people that live in this community. And then we change our work for that. That's mm-hmm. huge. These, these are things that are creating spaces where people do feel safe to, to come and, and share a gaming table. So we have to continue doing that. And there's, there's a lot of work that we still need to do. Um, the D8 Summit Charity Convention, uh, we've done a lot of work in this regard. I work with um, the Word Refinery. Um, they uh, work really hard to get minority voices uh, into the creative space for games. Um, so these groups are forming. You you have groups like uh, like Rivals, um, uh, where where we showcase um, I'm a, an experience in gaming from the perspective of people of color. We just we need to keep going. We need, yep. to, but but that's how our community is changing because we're actively changing it. And, and yeah, and here's the, and there's there, I mean, for crying out loud, we could have a, a, literally a whole podcast series devoted to this, right? right? And I'm I'm giving it a ten minute segment, which is bad, but um, here's the thing, um, you know, corporations 
are have initiatives now mm-hmm. around this what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. They there are now people in the C suites who are devoted to focus on this. I work for a firm that that has that. Part of the reason I like where I work so much is because um, of the the amount of focus that the firm that I work for puts into this. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not just warm and fuzzies. It's not just the right thing. The reason that corporations and companies and firms are doing this is because it makes things better. And diversity of opinions, diversity of perspectives, diversity of experiences makes things better. That's why companies are doing it. And if it didn't, the companies wouldn't do it. And it's the same thing in our space that we're talking about right now, Connor. The games we play will be better. The games that we play that are people, that the games being made are going to get better by having the diversity of all of these things that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. um, I think I, and, it, and of course, obviously scroll down, you're going to be able to follow, follow Connor's Twitter. I will have a link to that too. But um, I, I just, I liked a lot of the phrasing that you use, Connor, and I, and I appreciate you kind of framing it up for me. Um, I do wonder though, and you may not have an answer for this by all means, but why, why do you think I saw the gap between miniature gaming and role-playing games? So why did I see role-playing games being so much farther ahead um, than many of a lot of, a lot of other hobbies? And that's tough. Um, I love miniature gaming. Um, I love my Tomb Kings army. <laughs> um, Boy, you just showed your age. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> They're cool. Um, but uh, the, uh, I think a lot of it uh, is that there's been an incredibly, uh, an incredibly robust and very dramatic influx of new people into the RPG space. Yeah. As a result of streaming shows. Yeah. And when you bring in new blood uh, and you widen your audience, you are now opening the doors for people who have lived with more diversity or who come from more diverse backgrounds. Yeah. And when, in, when diverse individuals enter your space, it's going to create change. Mm-hmm. It has to. Otherwise, they don't stay in, in the space. Yeah. And I can remember, I can remember a time in my life, and, and you certainly could too, Craig, I think we might be close in age, where... Um, it was very questionable whether or not our hobby was going to survive. Oh, no, very several times Mm -hmm. in the last 50 years where role-playing games were dying. It's not, are they in, in, in several instances, Connor, it was saved by, by chance and miracle. So yeah, no, I completely agree. Right. Because, because the enemy of role-playing surviving is age. Yep. And, and we're getting older. And as we die, the hobby was dying with us. Exactly. Right. We need to get new people playing these games if we want them to continue to be uh, pertinent and important for our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren. When, when, when we're looking down the line, if we want this to be a, a media that continues to grow and flourish because we feel it has so many benefits, we need to get new people playing it. And yes, that means it's going to change. Doesn't mean it's bad. Right. But, it, but it's got to because the people coming in are different. Our society's different. It's always going to change. Society has never stayed the same. It's going exactly. to continue to change. So we need to continue to include people in the game as we get older so they can take the mantle when we go. Um, and, and, and that change might be super uncomfortable 
Connor, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's been changes that have been put in front of me in my last, you know, 30 years of my life that my first reaction was, was a discomfort, like, Mm -hmm. and my, and my reaction was not a good one. Um, and then in many ways, that's a very natural reaction, Very Um, natural. but you know, I, I would like to think that I didn't stay there, but some people do. And so the only thing I'll just put it as the period to the end, end of this is, um, I, I only speak for myself. Um, if 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 you don't like where it's going, if if this amount of change that's happening is making you uncomfortable, just get out of the way. Go play, do your thing, just get out of the way, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what's better than that is being com- being becoming a part of it, right, mm-hmm. and embracing it and finding just how exciting it can be to see that change and be a part mm-hmm. of it. But just just don't get in the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the things, one of the feedback, um, when I would share photographs of events I was running, one of the some of the most powerful feedback I got is, Connor, I'm looking at your I'm looking at your events and you've got teenagers playing next to people on retirement. That's awesome. Like, That's amazing. And I'm like, yes, because we want people of all ages to stay in this hobby. Yeah. If you are older, yes, it's changing. It might be uncomfortable to you, but if you stay in that hobby, there's so much you can offer to these yeah. people who are coming in. You have perspective, you have stories, you have experience that matters. Mm-hmm. If you can find ways to grow personally so that so that your gaming experience includes people who might be different than you, who are younger than you, who have different experiences, they're also going to get a lot out of interacting with you. Something yeah. that you remove from the space if you refuse to grow. Amen. So. Don't well leave. Said. I would love it if you stayed in the space, please, because yeah. because your perspective still matters. Um, but if you can't, don't kill the game for other people. Don't exactly. kill it for everybody. <laughs> don't take the game with you. Right. <laughs> just say, I'm just gonna play with my friends over here. Um, and and that's just gonna be how it's gonna be for me. But I'm happy that other people are playing it and they're getting joy out of it. Exactly. Hopefully it's something that gave you joy, and hopefully you're happy that other is bringing other people towards it. Well, and, and I hate to break the news to anybody that uh, if you think you're going to be able to take the game with you, you're not. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, it, the, the game is not yours. It never has been. So, um, but again, just stay out of the way. Connor, I had very high expectations about our interview. Um, I've really en- enjoyed um, having this discussion. I really appreciate the fact that you allowed me to talk about stuff that um, is not easy to talk about. Um, and I definitely learned a lot. Now, if someone's listening right now, um, we've got all the links scrolled down below, but um, where else, if they want to get more Connor, where should they go? Um, first of all, I want to thank you for, for having me, Craig, um, and giving a chance to discuss things that I'm, I'm so passionate about. I want to thank the listeners uh, for taking the time to listen to this. Um, so, uh, ho- hopefully, uh, you hear some truth in there um, that, that speaks to you as well. Um, but uh, if you're looking to continue the conversation, I would love to have that conversation with you. So I'll tell you some ways that you can reach me. Um, the easiest way is to follow me on Twitter. Um, you can, uh, I'm at the healer DM. Uh, if you follow me, um, I'm going to follow you back. I tend to mutual people because if you, I, I'm I'm a person I, I've always been like if you if you feel that I'm important enough to listen to I feel that you're important enough to listen to too I like that reciprocity um, so feel free to follow me don't be surprised if I mutual you 
Um, you could also go to my website if you want to find links to the work that I do. Um, if you want to get any downloads, or even if you want to hire me as a as a dungeon master, um, that is thehealerdm.card with two R's dot com. Uh, I try to put links up there. Um, if uh, you can always search for me on Drive Through RPG under my full name, Jonathan Connor Self. Uh, so uh, that should be there as well uh, in the links. Um, if you see me at a convention, because uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty uh, front and forward at at events uh, like Gamehole Con or Gary Con or any D8 Summit charities event. Um, if you see me, it's okay to come up and say hi and say I know you from here. Uh, I I'm very approachable and and I do want to hear uh, the things that you have to say. Um, you know, um, if if I've met you more than once, uh, there'll probably be a hug involved. Um, <laughs> I, I always joke say I'm a hug bear, uh, and I will not give somebody a hug if they do not want a hug. Sure. Um, but you know, there's something to be said for for the familiar, familiarity of a handshake or a hug. I um, agree. Be well known for it. Um, I I would love to meet people that are listening though, um, in some capacity or another. So so please don't be a stranger. So all four of you that are listening right now, make sure we reach out to Connor. <laughs> um, but kind of, I do. Problem is one of them, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So th- thank you, Connor. But uh, almost as important, um, you right now, you've listened all the way to the end. So I appreciate you too. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floor heads all right and there goes all the angry (laughs) that's where all all the angry comments are going to be oh that's fine i um i i run a lot of pro games i also run free games um for uh for folks in the area if i can sit around the table um and i i don't want to only do one or the other yeah but yeah but but the but the pro games have allowed me to really take my game up quite a bit as far as a DM and honestly, they keep me in the hobby. Yeah, I mean, is it so expensive to, to be in the hobby anymore? It is. It is. Yeah, it's funny because I do I do. I'm not a pro DM, but I stream right, and right, um, right. that's that's what that's done for me. Is streaming has has exponentially grown me as a as a gm um mm-hmm. for similar reasons right because i'm putting out a, a product that's being consumed by more than just my table but to your point i still have a table like i still have locals that i play with and then yeah. and, and stuff and I, I agree you need that balance all right i'm going to bring us back my friend okay, um okay. you still here wow um well the episode is over but if you're bored 
why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway, thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.